Hello, I'm Gavin, and this is Let's Govern. Today, we have a special guest, Congressman John Shumkus. Congressman Shumkus has governed in Congress for 24 years and is now retiring. Listen, as I talk to Congressman Shumkus about his career and his plans for the future. This has been your last year in Congress. Yeah. Why did you decide to make this your last year? Well, 24 years is a long time. Uh, and that's 24 years of traveling back and forth to Washington almost every week or every other week. Um, my family still uh, lives in Collinsville, Illinois. Uh, my, my boys have all uh, grown up knowing uh, and, and having a, a part-time dad who was gone as much as he was at home. Uh, and it's just time. I'm young enough to pursue some other things and uh, hopefully, uh, it, I don't know, it, I, I think people, when they get to uh, where they think they've, they've done what they felt they were called to do, uh, you, you step down and uh, let someone else take a shot at it. Yeah. Has this been a fun job for you? It's been a great job. I mean, mm -hmm. I, who, I never would have guessed uh, that. I, I, it just shows you the greatness of the country that uh, middle class, lower middle class people can uh, become members of the House of Representatives and senior elected positions in the country. Uh, I'm not sure how many other countries in the world uh, that can happen, but uh, I can guarantee you and uh, that I come from, like many of my colleagues, very humble background. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it's a tribute to our system of government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um so on the topic of 24 years, so as you probably know, the term limit issue has been a contentious one for you. Yeah, right. Um, so you pledged to stay in office more than 12 years. Right. Um, so why did you decide to go over um, this pledge? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, during the Bush administration, we were in, you know, um, uh, Afghanistan and we were in Iraq. Uh, the president personally asked me to stay. Um, uh -huh. that put a lot of pressure on me. Uh, we, uh, we announced early, um, earlier than, uh, 12 years where it was like during my getting elected from my, uh, fifth term, my 10th year that uh -huh. I announced that I was going to go past it. So I gave the voters really two shots. They could uh -huh. have said, no, we disagree with you, vote you out in year 10, or they could have done it in year 12. Of course, anyone who's followed my career. I get attacked for it every, every election. So uh, it uh, it's, I did it. Uh, you know, I, I, I made the pledge. I broke the pledge. I have to live with that fact, but uh, it, uh, you, there is an argument to be made that uh, you get, you should get better with time. You yeah, should become yeah. better legislators. Uh, if I had just blown off my district and not traveled around the area and stopped voting for their concerns, they would have thrown me out. Anyway, so uh, uh, it's just what I have to live with. Yeah. Um, so Mary Miller, um, the person who will represent us next in the 15th district, has also said that she supports term limits. Um, do you think it might be a bad idea for her to um, pledge amount of terms? I, I would. <laughs> after what I went through, yeah, <laughs> I, I've learned pledging is not like the best thing that, to do. Yeah. Although <laughs> uh, it's it's 
it's her call what she what she wants to do there there is an argument that when you leave early you you really empower the bureaucrats you the staff yeah. members who are there i think you see that in states around the country uh mm-hmm. that have term limits uh there uh and i've experienced now where i can tell in a in a public policy debate mm-hmm. i can go like obamacare yeah you know people we're still fighting over it and mm-hmm. i can tell you why a lot of us voted against it and i was there in the room where someone wasn't in there in the room they they can't tell the story but uh, it what happened was what we feared is that the small businessman or woman who had their own health care they mm-hmm. were promised they could keep it and they couldn't and the cost went up and the deductibles went up uh, they're the ones who uh, have been beat me up ever since we passed Obamacare. I voted no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but if you don't know that background, then you get caught up in some of these other, other issues. So you, uh, mm-hmm. uh, longevity, uh, experience helps in the legislative debates of issues of today. Mm, I see. So it has, um, maybe become easier to become a, to be a congressperson over if you've had more experience perhaps. Well, you get into, you get assigned a committee. And, and yes. so, and I'm on energy and commerce, so I deal with energy, telecommunications, healthcare, consumer protection, environmental issues. I don't get, I don't become a subject matter expert in defense <laughs> or foreign yeah. policy, but I, I do. Uh, and then, and then members will come to you and when an issue comes to the floor and they may not understand it, then you can give them the story, the, the bigger picture of why. Uh, this is a, this is an important issue. So there is, it's no different. I mean, would you rather have a, a rookie or a veteran if they're <laughs> equal, equally talented on a baseball team? You'd probably rather have the veteran, right? Yeah, of course. So that that's it's the same. It's the same line. Same same thought. No, no mm-hmm. one wants. Everyone wants to go to a heart doctor. They want to go to the one who's had <laughs> a thousand surgeries versus yeah. his first one. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good analogy. So, um, throughout your career, you have worked on many bipartisan bills um, and many dealing with energy policies in the U.S. Um, so, what have you learned um, working with your colleagues from both sides of the aisle? Well, the, the founders really created a, a system which, uh, you know, bicameral and, and really the both, both legislative bodies are, are very different based upon how they're elected, how you get on, how long you stay. Um, so it's, it's by definition, a very dysfunctional process. Mm-hmm. So if you really want if you know, people come to us and say, there ought to be a law, this should be fixed. Mm-hmm. And if it makes sense, those same people are probably going to Democrats too. Yeah. And so then you got to hook up a Republican and Democrat. And that's really the sweet spot, uh, mm-hmm. getting bipartisan support for a change in the law. And then working together so they can lobby because leadership changes too. So on an issue like uh, one of my big ones is nuclear waste, which mm-hmm. I carried a lot when we were, I was a subcommittee chairman. But when we came out of power, um, I, I found the Democrat who was really my number one supporter, which mm-hmm. is a guy named Jerry McNerney from California, and let him lead the bill when um, the Democrats were in charge. And and that's what you do over time. That's that's the sweet spot. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you feel like Congress has become more polarized in these last few years? Yeah, I, I can understand that question. The answer is no. <laughs> I just I just think social media and the 
and the advent of uh, 24-7 news networks yeah. highlights that. Um, remember, I got elected in 1996. Uh, mm-hmm. The Republican Revolution came in in 94 with Newt Gingrich. And I think ever since then, because it's really a fight for the gavels and the agenda um, and liberal Democrats are a lot different than conservative Republicans. Uh, we're we're, diff- we're different on social issues. We're different on fiscal issues. Uh, there are things that we can uh, we can work together on, and again, find that sweet spot. But uh, there's a reason why we have a two party system, uh, mm-hmm. and and that just causes strife. And then you have uh, social media and twenty four seven, and they ramp it up, right? Because they mm-hmm. want they want eyeballs on the screen, mm-hmm. so yeah, totally. they don't help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and of course, this year, um, Democrats actually lost some House seats um, where we thought that maybe they were not going to lose. Um, do you think this might be like a referendum on maybe more liberal policies or more liberal, de- more liberal Democrats? Yeah, I'm going to ascribe to the analysis that said the, the progressive left, the far left, got rejected by even members of their own party. Uh, I, I can't explain the election other than yeah. uh, the defund the police, uh, you know, uh, defund ICE uh, and uh, cut the military is was just a bridge too far for uh, many average Americans. Um, and, and that's that's what I think it was. Um, that's my analysis. OK. Um, and then actually, um, so with the census. Um, the 15th district will probably get reorganized, especially with the declining population. Um, so do you think that that might make our district more conservative or perhaps um, less conservative with their um, gerrymandering? Yeah, that's uh, so we're going to lose at least one seat, uh, mm-hmm. Illinois, and maybe two. Uh, and then you let the uh, the, <laughs> the legislature branch and the uh, sitting governor you know, draw the maps. Now that may change because Republicans gain seats. The numbers may come out late. They may have to try to do something more bipartisan. Uh, but gerrymandering is alive and well. Both parties do it. It just depends on who, you know, who has the control of the lever. You can't, um, you, I think it's almost impossible now to, uh, uh, south of I-80, Mm-hmm. to draw i mean the the 13th district which is congressman davis that was drawn for a democrat to win yeah. uh rodney won it rodney got reelected got reelected even in in a tough year i mean so um mm-hmm. what they who knows what they'll do but they'll they'll try to uh uh you know the democrats are up in the chicagoland area except for sherry bustos so mm-hmm. and she and she had a pretty tough race mm-hmm. so if she still has some say and, and works with the Democrats of Springfield, how, how are they going to draw her district to yeah. give her some more Democrats? They may have to go into Springfield, but does that mean they go further east and south of Springfield? Um, who knows? But I can tell you, uh, no one's going to know until the map comes out. You just, uh, sure. yeah, I, ever, I remember preparing for these things thinking, well, surely they're going to push me this way. And then I got pushed in a total d- different direction. So is it a stressful situation when you're just waiting for the maps to come out? I, I think it is because you have to, you know, we, everyone would rather stay in their assigned districts, 
right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I think one thing I learned in redistricting, it was, it was really eye-opening. So I had represented Shelby County, Lake Shelbyville, Southern mm-hmm. Park, uh, Moultrie County, as you know, is just north of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was gaining uh, in redistricting. I had Shelby. Uh, I was going to, Moultrie was going to be a new county for me. And I said, well, that should be great. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's right next to my current district. So, yeah. but I went to Moultrie County. It's, it's like, it's like I stepped off the moon. No one had <laughs> any idea who I was. And that's uh, the challenge. And you've got to start all over again. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have, but, uh, but you have a record yeah. and then you have to go about meeting people and, and, and work in the district, just like you're a newly elected member. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, so to move on to the next topic, which is about your involvement with um, Trump's re-election campaign in Illinois. So in 2019, you decided to resign as a co-chair for Donald Trump's um, re-election campaign in Illinois. Um, did you resign because Trump withdrew troops from Syria? I did. I mean, that was I'm, yeah. there was a lot of pent-up frustration. Uh, listen, I voted for him. Uh, I can tell you why I voted for him, but uh, I can tell you things I don't like about him. And and I think most people would know what they are. Yeah. But being a military guy, uh, the way that was handled, I mm-hmm. I was I just thought was egregious. Um, uh, you likened it to having two soldiers in a foxhole. One's a Kurd and one's a U.S. soldier, and they're in the foxhole together without notice the U.S. soldier gets told to leave, mm-hmm. leaving the Kurd and the foxhole all by themselves. You just don't do that to friends and allies. You mm-hmm. could at least negotiate and talk to them and say, hey, we're going to do a, a withdrawal. How can we make this? It's bad. I know you guys don't like it, but how do we can, How do we make it as, as good as possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, I was just mm-hmm. like, I'm out of here. <laughs> so... And also, it's in Illinois, so I'm sure that there may not have been much hope for Trump to win Illinois. I don't, yeah, but I don't think that had anything really to me to do with it because it's yeah. it, it's it's only uh, you know it's just showing support, yeah, of course, in a state where he's going to win. Uh, no, I had obviously I had Republicans who were not pleased uh, mm-hmm. when I did that. Now, fortunately. I didn't get on the president's naughty list where he gave me a nickname and started berating me on the Twitter feed. Uh, so, I, you know, I, it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> it a lot worse. <laughs> um, so I watched a recent interview you did, and you mentioned that it's worse to get backlash from your friends than from your enemies. Um, so, how, so how did you um, deal with the backlash from your Republican friends um, when you decided to withdraw from Trump's um, re-election campaign, yeah, I I would I didn't really get any backlash from members of Congress because um, you know we're on the same team, but we also we've been in we've been involved so much that people respect your decisions that you make, and you're going to be held accountable to your voters. Mm-hmm. It's your it's your Republican base or the the. Trump supporters of the Republican base uh, that were not pleased. And, uh, but I didn't expect them to be pleased because they were, they were all in. Now they're still members of the Republican party who are like me voted for him, but are, are pretty, 
disappointed in how he treats citizens, mm-hmm. allies, friends. He, um, now they will they will argue that as uh, well. That's just a New Yorker style in him. Um, uh, I, I I like to be more respectful than that. Mm-hmm. And you know, if had he been a little more respectful, uh, you know, I think some people say, well, he would never gotten elected if he wasn't the way he is. Um, but if he had become a little bit more respectful, he could have got reelected. I mean, if he mm-hmm. just showed humility one time. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. <laughs> he's not. <laughs> he's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that the future of the Republican Party? will be a feature of Trump's ideas and um, maybe a bit of his personality and his po- the policy? Well, I think that's the big parlor game. I think that's, that's a great question. You're, obviously, you're well-read and you're following what uh, what will Trump do next? And he's raising a lot of money. Uh, will he be a factor in Republican primaries? Uh, my, my guess he will. The question is, uh, will people gravitate to him and will he hold that fervent emotional base um and uh, are not and there and even though we're very similar across the country in our in our values uh there are differences in republicans right we mm-hmm. we've got more moderate republicans we've got uh institutionalists or governing conservatives as i like to call them and then mm-hmm. we have well you know the, those who really want to really create huge huge change or um i'm and and so hopefully that the art of politics is winning the primary and keeping that base together so you can win the general i I accredit this to a lot of uh gerrymandering as we talked about earlier uh if you had more competitive districts you you would have more both sides now are so beholding to that primary race that the emotional uh the uh defund the police crowd is, is getting a lot more attention than it probably would if it if the district was a little more competitive and and uh obviously the uh uh the trump supporters who have been very uh, aggressive uh in a more moderate district their voices wouldn't be so loud mm. how much um how much do you think trump will play a role in what happens in these georgia runoffs um that's i don't know yeah you know elections are about turnout so who's going to turn out who's going to turn out the voters and i I remember as people were analyzing the general election in november people thought trump was going to get waxed and and republicans were going to lose across the board i i I think they they liberal democrats were shocked that this race, mm-hmm. uh, even at the presidential level, was so close. And then, obviously, as you identified, we picked up seats in the House uh, mm-hmm. to everyone's shock. I mean, people, some people thought, well, they'll lose five seats. And I heard as much as 15 or 20 seats. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't lose a single seat that was yeah. that had a sitting Republican in it. So uh, it's all about t- turnout and, uh, you know, e- emotion. And I uh, pollsters are trying to gauge that, but I'm not sure people really trust pollsters anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sure. I, I have, I have no idea. I know he was down there what yesterday or two days ago, and uh, I guess Biden's going there today. Um, so they're, that's what campaigns are about. Yeah. Um, so now to the topic of SIU. So in 1997, you earned your MBA from SIU in, Edward, in Edwardsville. 
um, and you're now planning to teach at SIUE um, during your retirement. So why did you decide to teach at um, university? Well, I like education. Um, I, I want to empower the next generation. It's a way for me to give back. Um, SIUE is just 10 miles up the road. Uh, yeah, my family really has a uh, close connection because of my wife's got her master's degree in organ performance. My dad got his associate's degree uh, with the Korean GI Bill. My I got a sister who's got a accounting degree. I've got a sister who's got a uh, recreational degree. So there is a huge family connection. Um, Again, so it's close. Uh, it's you know, it's a pretty good school. It's affordable. It's uh, it's high quality. Uh, it's kind of a university for the average Joe, and that's kind of what I feel that you know I I came out of this community, and it's just a chance for me to get back. Plus, I want to stay get engaged mm-hmm. in public okay. policy and debate, and I'm sure uh, one class is an intro class, so you'll have students who are very interested, and you're going to have some that are going to be bored to tears, right? So mm-hmm. I'll have to navigate that. The next one will be a 300 level, which means they have a little more interest in it. Uh, and so I hope to make it uh, beneficial to, to, to both classes. What is one thing that you hope to um, bring to SIU and share with your students about your experience from Congress? Well, 24 years of, of story. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about, you know, how uh, a conference report, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've served on one conference committee where it was really like a committee hearing and we brought up amendments and we had votes and it was public. Uh, now conference committees kind of meet uh, mostly by staff and you just sign the report having kind of agreed to the changes. So you have one type of bill. It's stories like that. Mm-hmm. Of course I was there, uh, you know, the, the one of the primary responsibilities is of a, of the national government is to protect all enemies uh, mm-hmm. from a foreign and, foreign and domestic. And, uh, I was in the Pentagon on the morning that it got hit on September 11th. So, uh, it, it'll be those real aspects, but just as much as important is, is to tell the story that a, a middle-class, lower middle-class guy from a big family, uh, from Southern Illinois can, can be elected to Congress. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like, I mean, these students are going to be from Collinsville. They're going to be from Edersville. They're going to be from uh, Belleville and maybe from St. Louis and maybe from Charles. I mean, they're going to be yeah. they're mostly going to be, you know, local yokels from small, small communities. And which is by definition kind of where I, I came from. Yeah, your story definitely is inspiring. Um, so Paul Simon, he was a former Illinois senator. And he also taught at SIU, and he left a legacy of the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute. Is this maybe something that you'd want to do? Maybe um, the John Shumkus Institute, but perhaps in a Republican viewpoint. <laughs> uh, well, I would I would say the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute is uh, is designed not to be partisan or <laughs> ideological. So I've spoken there a couple times. Of course, that's down on the Carbondale campus. Uh, I would say, let's do one thing at a time. Let me see <laughs> if I can teach two classes before, uh, that, that those things are a lot of work. I'd never want to be in competition with the, the public policy Institute of mm-hmm. Carbondale. And really it's Southern Illinois university system, yeah, which sure. has a lot of campuses. So Carbondale's one, Edersville's one, Alton's one, uh, Springfield. So, uh, it's, it's still one university system. And, uh, now I may go down there and if they ask me to talk, but no, I'm, 
I would never in my heart want to compete against Paul Simon. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I want to thank you again, Congressman, for um, the interview today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for um, your 24 years of service. And that's the interview. Thank you so much for listening. To find out ways to get involved, visit representedusa.com. Again, R-E-P-R-E-S-E-N-T-E-D-U-S-A dot com.